there, and welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the 1% Better Podcast slash video stream. It's kind of a, it's not just a podcast anymore, it's a bit, a few different forms of media going on. And in this one, I'm delighted to welcome and introduce my guest from, all the way from LA, Melissa McCarthy. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to join you. Great to have you along. So I'm I'm really looking forward to learning a bit more about you and and sharing that with with the audience here in Ireland in in Europe and obviously I have some good listenerships from the US as well. So um looking forward to digging into that. You have a a book or a memoir that's just been recently released as well. So definitely want to kind of get into that story and I suppose as we go through your uh, journey pull out some interesting piece of information that the, the purpose of the episode of the show is to try and help people improve as well so if there are certain things you've learned along your way that have been pivotal for your success or for your own development somebody might get something out of that so you know feel free to share whatever crops up definitely i will i'm excited i and i have this framed it's the book cover let's see if you can see it's the making of a crime reporter mm-hmm and we can talk about this at some point, but it's very symbolic. That's me. Mm-hmm. I'm a crime reporter. And that's actually my real life brother. And so it's a very uh, compelling. A lot of my uh, employers said a little provocative. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it's just something that I've never really um, been public about, you know, is my relationship with my brother. Because obviously we're, the contrast is pretty dramatic and he's tattooed from head to toe. He has... 5150 tattooed on the side of his forehead or I'm sorry on the side of his head which is the California police code for mentally insane and the book is about addiction and and mental illness um, which it 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 has double meaning it's obviously crime reporter he was in a gang lifestyle growing up but it really is a book about loving someone who is struggling with addiction and mental illness. And I think who doesn't know someone struggling with one or the other or both. Yeah, I I know in Ireland this week, it's Mental Health Awareness Week. I don't know if that's an international week, but it's probably timely that, you know, we're going to talk a good bit about that. But maybe just talk a little bit more about you, Melissa, your 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 career, your job. What do you do for, for a living? And then we can maybe go back in time a little bit. Well, I started off as a local newscaster. And I worked my way up, staying at each television station for about a year and a half. And so I would move state to state and kind of earning your stripes. Television news is actually one of the industries that you really can't fudge. I mean, I think in other industries of television, you can, if you have the right agent or have the right manager, or you know a certain person, or if you're dating someone, then you can, you know, get booked. But news, I have to be honest, you have to earn your stripes the proper way. And so it's a very tough journey. So you have to start in small towns like population 50,000 which I did in Grand Junction Colorado which I talk about in the book and then you work your way up to Los Angeles where I was the top story newscaster for CBS in LA for five years and then I ended up joining uh, Crime Watch Daily with Chris Hansen which in the U.S. He's a crime legend. He's the how to catch a predator guy, you know, kind of like, what are you doing with this 13 year old girl? I have a seat. So he's legendary in the crime world. 
so he was the host and I was the correspondent. We traveled the country um, and we just, you know, highlighted certain uh, tragedies and unsolved cases. And we would actually confront the people accused of, of murder that were walking free. And were they, were you recording or with that live shows on, on Crime Watch Daily? It's something that we probably wouldn't get here in Ireland. But just to talk a little bit about it, is a, a live show? Is it pre-recorded or? Yeah, so it's pre-recorded and it's available on YouTube uh, where okay. we actually Facebook and YouTube, we get the most views in the millions. And so wow. it really is is compelling, but it's live to tape. And so we do these very in-depth Oprah Winfrey style one-on-one interviews of, um, you know, extracting like this major life altering moment that happened to this family or this person. And then a lot of them are unsolved or unresolved. Mm. So for example, people don't like to think about this, but I I think it's fascinating as a true crime person. Um, There's thousands, tens of thousands of murderers walking free and amongst us for various reasons. So we had a really uh, wonderful team of private investigators and researchers, and we would find the people accused. Sometimes police couldn't even find these people and we would go and pay them a visit. You know, on behalf of the families, law enforcement, them to see if they're, you know, what they feel about the accusations. So it was just real life, true crime stories that I've been doing for over a decade. Wow, very good. And what was it about kind of crime or or reporting on crime stories that was the draw? And maybe talk to me about why, why that area. Um, it's so interesting because I have a lot of journalism students reach out to me and I used to make a lot of speeches at colleges and so forth Mm. of the journalists of tomorrow. And, um, I really do go heavily into the book about the journey of television as well, but I, I just wanted to be, uh, you know, the next Diane Sawyer and I wanted to be this amazing world trusted newscaster. I didn't realize a lot of that within the industry is crime. Okay. And so once you become a newscaster, the headlines that dominate, it's crime. You do human interest stories and politics, but it's mostly crime. And then it's just something I was drawn to because of the way I grew up. It was a really tough environment. And my brother hung around criminals. I honestly grew up with a bunch of criminals. And so I always thought I had a unique perspective because I know what went through the minds of these criminal-like behaviors i knew why a lot of the ones that i knew did what they did the reasons for it Mm. and then i would see in the news industry the victims the other side and i've been on the other end of that i've been the person grieving a loved one you know knowing the person who who was accused of killing someone and and just like every aspect i could understand it and see it so i thought i had a unique perspective on being the storyteller And I just, like you, I wanted to know what pushes people to that threshold. Why does that person snap and not control their emotional rage? Um, And the other person doesn't. What's the difference between someone committing a horrible act to those who want to but don't Mm. or someone who never even think of it? It's fascinating. Mm. Did you start to identify kind of patterns emerging from some of the, I suppose, the, the criminals that you were following over over a period of time? Did you start to kind of identify or, or categorize almost 
certain folks into to buckets? I think, and I mean, we're talking about, you know, mothers and, um, you know, young men, older women. It's just, there's no um, category of what a killer is, I found. Uh, th there is no um, profile that I think that you can paint. It's all ages from all backgrounds and all situations. And I feel like it comes down to, in that moment, feeling um, desperation. You know, they felt like they had no choice. It was a self-control and impulse problem. It was, um, you know, some emotional issues that I'm sure you can link back um, further in their childhood to their young adult years. I think it's like this instability of... Um, of uh, how to handle things in life and their emotional state. So when something happens in the moment, they they just uh, react. And I obviously drugs and alcohol play a role for some of these as well. But I, I really think it's just uh, tapping into that impulse control and, and, and people who can't do it. Um, I think that's the difference. Mm. Impulse control is something I actually talk about a good bit on, on the show as well because it's one of the key components, I guess, of emotional intelligence and it is something you can actually develop and and strengthen. It's like, you know, like a muscle over time. It's just, a, it's a fascinating area, not only in criminals, but, you know, in business because people sometimes have the impulsiveness to, to make the wrong decision or, or to to fire somebody or whatever and uh there's yeah it's it's, a, it's an interesting area is there an element of of um danger in in what you were doing was there a draw towards that did was there an excitement adrenaline how, how did all that play out for you a hundred percent it's so funny because and i i go into all of this also for people that are into crime and television in the book so i was known i made a name for myself as a local newscaster as the girl that gets too close i've been caught on fire you know covering wildfires wow. in southern california made national news i've been uh, reporting in gunfire i was attacked in a riot and had glass shattered all over me Jeez. i've always you know i've been in gang territory every night reporting I've always kind of thrived off of um, the adrenaline and you know there are times that Southern California is notorious for our wildfires unfortunately and we would be on the fire lines and I'm the only one I think ever in history to be reporting live in an actual massive ember storm and it was dangerous and no one could believe the rise and I was getting pinched and singed and but it was just the uh, the adrenaline like I, I had to show people what I was seeing and I didn't want to flee to safety you know but then when I became a national correspondent and I was actually sent out to truly engage with these accused violent criminals or people with clean records, no record whatsoever, but accused of murdering a loved one. I had to travel with a, a bodyguard, right. you know, armed to do such a thing legally, you know, because they're accused of murder. I needed a bodyguard and I found that I was scared a lot and that was never me but also you know I was growing older I was out of my 20s and I'm in my 30s and and I'm just starting to see how easy violence is and when, what happens when a person feels like their back's up against a wall it's so unpredictable and I was always thinking what if this is the moment the accused killer I'm about to confront is going to say, well, I'm caught. 
So I'm going out with a bang, you know, and, and I have a lot of friends who are officers and, you know, they pull people over and they feel like the jig is up and I'm going out guns blazing. And so you think like that. Um, but you know what? I've never been harmed. I mean, obviously, I think someone tried to spit on me once and they'll threaten to, to harm me, but I've never actually been harmed because I'm with a crew. I'm with a bodyguard, you know, and it's we are very cautious to say, OK, we're leaving. You know, we don't want any trouble, but we, we still want to get the answers as well. So I am I am scared, but it's it's controlling the emotions in that moment. And would there be an element, the fact that you're on camera, you're recording stuff that the, the potential criminal uh, realizes, OK, I can't do much here because if I do anything, it's going to be all caught on, on film as well. So Exactly. I mean, sometimes they don't even care. You know, it's just like out of my face. But um, no, I, I just want to be cautious. Also, legally, I don't want to be in a mind state of fear and say something that's accusatory not fair because they are walking free you know family members think they killed the person but you know they're not charged because there's not enough evidence so you have to be fair and even though i've looked at the evidence and whoever i may or may not privately be leaning towards you know you have to give the person their due process and approach them with some kind of empathy so they want to say hey i'm innocent and I've had people look at me and say, I'm innocent. I didn't do it. And, and, and who knows? These are still cases unresolved, but it's compelling television. Oh, very, very interesting. It's, it's fascinating to, to hear. And as you're talking through it, I'm trying to imagine myself in, in your situation. And I suppose it's impossible unless I'm, I'm, unless I'm there. Like I can detect the real passion for the work you do um, from, from reading and doing a bit of research it said you were a high school dropout to a crime reporter, right? So so talk to me about how you got from there to what you do now, because obviously you would you have a lot of skills and you've obviously worked really hard to get there. I'd love to hear that story without spoiling too much. People want to buy the book, obviously, but uh, tell me a little bit about that. Well, there's a, there's such a wonderful story um, that I used to be embarrassed of and now I'm not. I'm so proud. I wish I could shout it from the rooftops. But um, when I was like the... T- top story uh, news reporter in um, Los Angeles covering Southern California, KCBS KCAL. Uh, there's this one moment where I, I was assigned to cover a, uh, a prom. It was kind of like a nonprofit and they were, um, you know, giving a lot of the at-risk uh, teens like dresses and makeovers for prom. And I was in Compton, I believe. And I, I was just, you know, commenting to my assignment editor and my producer. I, I'm so excited. I've never actually been to a prom. I'm really excited to, to cover this story. And he was just like, well, yes, you have. That's, that's impossible. Of course, you've been to a prom. And it just flew out of my mouth because I'd been there for years at the time at CBS. So I just looked at him and I was like, no, I've never been to prom. I dropped out. And he was, he was like, what? And I said, ah, I'm a high school dropout. I, I never got to go to prom. And he said, that's impossible. I said, no, I, I'm a high school dropout. And he said, and he was just thinking, like trying to make sense of it. And he was, because all of my colleagues were from like UCLA, Cal Berkeley, USC. Mm-hmm. So he was like, how are you here? How are you here right now? And, and not, and he was like fumbling his words and not, and I said, a statistic? And he said, yes. How are you here and not a statistic? And, and that's, that's what's important about the journey and sharing a story. 
and I don't share a story that's personal just to share it. It's because at the age of 19, I at that time had two friends that were murdered. One friend accused of killing another friend and another friend of ours. So it was three people involved in a murder case, two had died. And then on my 19th birthday, I tell a story where I threw a big party. I was living in North Oakland. Mm -hmm. Oakland was the murder capital of the country at the time. And I didn't realize people would hear the music and come on and off the streets and wander in. And of course, I didn't have any security. I was 19 and a fight broke out. My brother and his gang member friends were there and someone ended up stabbing the aggressor uh, multiple times. And I honestly don't even know if the guy survived. All of the kids just kind of scattered. And so I was in this situation where a lot of people, it's its an extreme situation, obviously, but all of us are in a situation where we wake up and we hate our environment. We don't like the situation we're in. We want better for ourselves. We want more. And, you know, I was also a high school dropout and I was going to a little junior college at the time in Oakland. And, you know, a junior, junior college you know, it's, it's um, a stepping stone to get into a four year. And, you know, because you, if you're a high school dropout, no college is going to accept you except for a junior college. And so you really have to make an effort to even graduate from college being a high school dropout, because you're put yourself back so far from dropping out. And I just, you know, there's, I guess, three aspects to it, right? You are not going to settle and rationalize your situation. You're going to be defiant and push the boundaries and want more for yourself, one. Two, what's it take? Courage. It's the unknown. It's will I make it? Will I succeed? You know, and at the time, everyone was laughing at the thought of me in that situation at 19, wanting to be a newscaster. People, they were literally laughing. and and then it's courage. And then it's just the day-to-day carrying out the operational side. And I'm a big believer in like lists Mm -hmm. and planning. And so every single day I would wake up and make a list. How do I get to point A to point B to point C to accomplish the goal of the day of the week of the year? So even though I just got my first television job, you know, in Grand Junction, Colorado as a newscaster, I'm already planning the next step. Hmm. No, it's so much comes up for me there as you're kind of talking through that planning. My background is project management, and I, I believe absolutely if you have a very planful approach of setting goals and breaking it down bit by bit, you will get there. Courage is is one of the I suppose core values that I talk about as well. It's to take that chance or, or to push yourself outside the comfort zone. What other kind of values or or motivators had you that kept pushing you to that next level? What was, what, what, where did it come from, I guess? Where did these things come from out of you? I'm not saying this is good and it's for everybody, but for me, because I was um, raised in such a rough <laughs> environment, I didn't know 
anyone who went to college or even wanted to go to college. My environment was truly so suppressive and hopeless, you know, that I was um, at a situation where I was so miserable thinking, I don't want to be you, you, you. I was looking at my brother. I don't want to fall down that hole, you know, and he was deep in addiction and trying to figure out um, some early signs of mental illness in his head, self-medicating, completely self-destructing. And just my friends at the time, I was just, for some reason, I was just so turned off. Well, stabbing on my 19th birthday. That's, that would, that I think with most people, unfortunately it has to take a major event, a major incident to happen to us to our loved ones or someone we know to kind of wake up and make a move. And so it was a major event that triggered it, severe unhappiness and seeing others um, that had different lives. So even though I was a dropout in junior college, I was um, smart enough to do an internship, which opened my eyes to people my age without my background and my situation. And that's when I had a little bit of envy and that's when I started to get a little defiant uh, around everyone who said, you know, that's a crazy idea, really a newscaster. And it was a little bit of anger for the people telling me I can't do it. And it was a little bit of I'll show you, you know, that really pushed me. And I mean, think about how many um, civil movements have taken place in this country and around the world out of defiance. We're not going to take it anymore. Look at what's happening today with the Kavanaugh. And it's just a little bit of defiance and, and unsettled anger that kind of pushes you to go further than you normally would. That's a good thing. As long as you don't let your anger consume you so you don't enjoy the process. Mm, very interesting. And, and obviously confidence must have something to do with it or or a self-belief that you can do it if you're looking around and your friends and your brother and you know your surroundings are not in a positive place but to have the ability to say to rise above it so was that something that was very pivotal to you because you come across confident there's certainly no arrogance or, or anything like that and i believe they're you know certainly fine lines but um where did that come from do you think was that always there as well no, I was, I was so insecure. And I talk about that too in the book because a lot of people, once I was in television, especially a lot of men, um, which men dominate the industry of news, they would really try and break my spirit and say things to really mess with my head and my confidence. And, and I, but also they were stereotyping. They, they thought I came from money. They thought, you know, I just was given an easy, uh, easy ride in life from looking at me. They were stereotyping and I was from Los Angeles. And so they just, they thought something of me that was not true. If they only knew what I was really trying to overcome and deal with. But what it was is I was smart enough even though I dropped out of high school to um, find a passion for um, being in front of the camera. And I thought, well, you know, I just kind of clicked with it and the storytelling and I was a poet growing up. I loved words. And so I was just taking these classes in junior college and I was just doing things that I loved wanting a certain path, not knowing how it would play out. But then I was lucky enough to have instructors see something in me and see my work ethic, how hard I tried, how I went above and beyond the typical student. And I just had a knack and a, and a true calling for uh, putting a story together. And it was really one or two professors 
that encouraged me and pushed me along the way to give me the confidence to say, whoa, I can do this and I'm going to do it. You know, so it, it was it, it was a little bit of um, faith in myself. But then thankfully, there was one or two people along the way that saw something in me and, and pushed me. Cool. Influencers are, are always very important. Question that came up for me as we're talking through it. When you were moving up the ranks, was there now you're open and honest about your background and your your past and happy to share your story and help others learn from it right was there stages during that journey that you you didn't want to talk about it you were afraid if a potential employer knew about your background or your brother or whatever that did have a, a negative view on you as a result Oh, I was embarrassed most of my life. And and now it's just, you know, it's ridiculous now that I think back. And But I mean, it's a process for everyone, I think, when you feel like you're the underdog. And, you know, there are times, obviously, where I'm in an editorial meeting with, with people who um, come from money or come from Ivy League schools and, and they're bragging about what school they went to. And there was a few of those incidents where it's like, well, I went to Cal Berkeley and, and I went here. And then it's kind of like, yeah, but I'm sitting right next to you and I'm a dropout. So who cares? We're all here. We all made it here. You know, it's, it's the path is, um, and the fight I think is what sets you apart and makes you unique. And, and, and I wouldn't want everything to be handed to me. And I, I wouldn't want to walk an easy path. Uh, I think that's boring, you know, and I'm drawn to people who have overcome obstacles and, and barriers, but I was always embarrassed and afraid of being kind of figured out and, and didn't want anyone to know. And that's why I was so shocked. I blurted it out to my boss that day at CBS. Um, but then I think because I was so good at what I, I do that it was just instant kind of respect. Um, and then the, the aspect about my brother, because he does kind of look scary to society. You know, my brother looks like um, someone that my colleagues would say is like a thug or like a criminal. And, and he did have those ties and he was affiliated. That was his lifestyle, but that wasn't his heart. And it's important for me to explain, you know, he had that crowd. He looks very scary, but he only harmed himself. It was, you know, self-destruction from addiction and mental illness. Now, he did have friends that harmed others. It, But, you know, it's always kind of like when you're two white kids uh, or just two teens uh, trying to make your way in really rough situations, you... um walk the walk and talk the talk just to survive this situation right and so I used to be embarrassed a little bit about him and people you know seeing him and 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 even today when I when I walk around and, and I show people this people that have known me for years they literally because I don't really talk about it and he lives in a different state they literally are shocked and though that's your brother and I can still see the response from people they're stunned and it's because of that and, and knowing that and anticipating that where I wasn't always comfortable but now I'm I'm just like absolutely that's him he has a big heart he's the most loving person if he has 25 cents he'll give you 10 you know and it's important that people destigmatize and and even though someone may look like someone you want to step away from sit down and talk to them 
see where his head is at, where his heart is at. I'm sure it's exactly where yours is. He wants the same things everyone else does, you know? Yeah, and it's it's funny. I'm just thinking the book cover, you know, don't judge a book by its cover has multiple meanings there, right? Because you're you're looking at the contrast between you and your brother and you're talking about how, how different uh, or how, how you shouldn't be uh, making judgments there. As you decided or started to think about putting a, a memoir together, Maybe talk to me about the when you decided, oh, that's something I'm going to do, and how involved was your brother even in the the process, or you know, was he on board with it? We've always talked about this our whole lives. You know, he came up with the title. He said, "I want it to be called Backyard Tears." You know, I mean, he was always aware that him, him and I, um, you know, he and I had very uh, abnormal circumstances to the way we were raised. You know, and at the time we didn't know it all of our friends were around living that same lifestyle but once I started to meet other people as did he we realized it wasn't really a normal upbringing it wasn't a healthy um you know positive at upbringing it was more of a struggle and in darkness so we always knew that we had an interesting story to tell and then when he realized that he was bipolar in ADHD and had severe issues with anxiety attacks, social phobias. That's when he started to realize all these years, I thought I was crazy, you know, and he just wanted to just take his own life at one point because it was so much that he wanted a story told to help others so they wouldn't have to suffer. So the goal was always young people, always at youth teens and people who were lost in trying to find their ways because he and I, I think unnecessarily suffered from our own ignorance, lack of education, communication. And it was always a plan to do this, to help other people learn about mental illness, the severity of addiction. And I watched a star is born the other day and the way they depicted alcoholism was so powerful, you know, and I, I felt such a heavy weight on my shoulders to not only portray what it's like for the addict and the person loving the addict going through severe addiction, but also mental illness. You know, Mariah Carey made a comment in People Magazine a while ago saying she suffered from manic moments. And I thought, wow, I wish she went into detail about that. I do. In the book, I explain what a, a manic episode looks like. And there's the movie Silver Lining Playbook. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, what does that mean? You know, and instead of talking about mental illness and saying, um, you know, he has manic episodes, what's that mean? I wish I knew mm. when I was growing up so I can pin it and maybe a lot of the self-destruction, you know, he caused to himself or our family and the heartache, maybe it would it would have been lessened if we knew the signs earlier you know yeah yeah yeah. no absolutely and you know i talked to a lot of people on the show about mental illness and even when i was growing up in school you know everybody was in the same class even though there was certainly 10 percent of the people in there that might have had adhd or asperger's or there wasn't just a name for it and they were treated the same when when they shouldn't have been you know and i guess we're moved along a lot since then but anything you can do or I can do or anyone can do to, to share the stories around what the, the, those episodes are really like um, can only be, you know, a positive, a positive thing for sure. 
I think the stigmas uh, are starting to to weaken, and I think um, you know, unfortunately, especially in the U.S., we cater to celebrities a little too much, and and we put too much weight on them. However, when one of them, like Demi Lovato or Ben Affleck, is so public about bipolar, mental illness, addiction, it really does help destigmatize those things and so when you have a loved one or a friend that you see suffering you can talk about it more so like you know hey have you ever thought to get checked out for this or do you think maybe your emotional state is something you know along the lines of maybe bipolar or i mean it's just a conversation that um you know we should be talking about and we should be addressing and whoever brings awareness to it i just want to do my part you know i just want to do my part because as a reporter, and it's so horrible to even have headlines like this, but I covered a lot of stories. Well, they didn't make air, but I would show up to a call and, um, you know, suicides don't end up on television less. It's very significant, um, for some reason. And because it's also something you don't want to promote and put out there, just like you don't mention the name of gang members or their, their gang, because you don't want to put attention to it. But there were a lot of calls I went out to of young people taking their own lives. And then when you dig into it, it was mental illness or being bullied. Things that I think if they only had an outlet, someone to talk to or information, they would be alive today. Absolutely. Have you always been able to have that outlet and you know, recognize and be aware of, of your own stuff going on in your head. I, again, I talk about the, the voice inside the head and how it can sabotage people's happiness or prevent them from doing things. Uh, I certainly have had a struggle with it from the point of view of, you know, a few years ago, I wouldn't have had the confidence to even do this. And by doing it, you kind of build up a, a strength against it. So, so that sort of stuff, is there anything that holds you back and how do you face that and, and push through? Boy, you nailed it. Um, by the way, a really good book, The Untethered Soul. But no, I mean, racing, I, I suffer severely. I just did an Insta story post last night on racing thoughts. I talk about it a lot. I'm listening to Paul McKenna, this okay. uh, professional. Yeah, yeah, Paul yeah McKenna. I know Paul McKenna. He's English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I have severe, rapid racing thoughts. And it's, it's really troublesome. And also, it makes me so good at what I do when I do focus on something. But... I mean, I think my own thoughts in um, my headspace is both, um, I think it's a motivator, but it's also a setback because it can really get the best of you if you don't uh, rationalize it. And um, there's times where I have to kind of talk out loud to push certain uh, negative uh, thoughts and, and focus on the positive and I can do this and I will do this. I'm capable of doing this and to ease your mind. But I think our worst enemy is ourselves. The things that we say to ourselves silently and the things that we allow ourselves to think. And I think you should, I mean, talk about that as much as possible because how strong is our mind? I think we can, cure certain ailments within ourselves if we work out what's going on in our own heads and what we say and treat ourselves yeah no absolutely and uh i believe um 
you know, I believe we all have that voice. I was just editing an episode that I'm putting out in a couple of days, uh, one of my shorter podcasts with a very famous rugby player, and he's very into mental strength, and he's even mentioned a couple of times where, you know, he's had bad games because of the voice inside the head. So, no, I think the more we talk about that, definitely, uh, definitely the better. So talk to me a little bit about the process of putting the book together. Was that something, you know, it was a first time for you to do it? How did that play out? Was it a, a challenge? Was there a lot of learnings about yourself even during it? Well, I self-published, I think, because it's best to have the rights to your own material. And um, it's more rewarding when you actually can follow the sales and see um the whole process once you put it out there to the world. And so it's an ebook in an audible. So this is new to me, um, narrating my own book. Boy, that was such a weird experience. I mean, I'm a professional narrator. I, I narrate the stories that I do for television and I voice them. And, and, and so I, I'm writing the material for this memoir and then crime watch daily. So gracious of them. I, I use their audio booth to do the voice recordings um, with a wonderful technician. So it's just me, the technician in an audio booth for days and hours. And I'm reading my own story, my own words. And it was such a vulnerable, weird feeling for me because um, you relive it more so when you're writing it because it's in the universe. And so there were times once or twice in the audible where you can hear that I'm choking up. And there was a, a really traumatic thing that happened and my voice is cracking and I'm I'm choking up and I thought, should I redo that? Should I revoice that that chapter? And I decided to leave it in because it was just so real and authentic and and for all these years later to be choked up talking about that incident, you know, that's I think what will connect people to my story, then hopefully it's really the purpose is really for them to resonate and find something in my story that will relate to their story. And I've tested it out. I've had people from CEOs of uh, television companies to um, a supermodel, to an actor, to a writer, to, you know, a bodyguard to, I've had everyone, you know, kind of sample this and they've all had major takeaways that they resonated with and related to in their own lives, whether it's the alcoholism, the mental illness, trying to live a happy life when you have a sibling that just wants to stay in darkness, you know, it's whether it's overcoming obstacles, it's relatable and it was worth it. But it's also just the narrating portion where you're like, oh, I hope people like my voice and like the story. And it's a, it's a kind of a head trip that once again, you have to get out of your own head. <laughs> you have to believe in the material and say, this is good. It's important. And you do it. Mm. That's fun, funny to, you know, to bring it back to the head piece again. And I bet what will happen to you, what I hear about podcasts when some people ask me which episode I like the most or, or whatever and then you hear random stuff coming back from somebody listened to an episode and, and a thing that they took the most out of, I didn't think much about at all. So there's probably so many parts in the book that you might even feel, yeah, that's important, but not the big thing that other people will just latch on to, which will be really great, I suppose, when you hear that feedback. 
That's amazing. And I, I've had people do that. What you just said, it's they point out something and they mention something and you're like, really? That's, that's the piece. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So amazing about it. And it's, it's, you look at that person and you just, in that moment, you saw something in them that you didn't see before because of what they related to. And it's a different kind of connection. That's what's so awesome. And I've had people reach out to me already about it. And um, this one person um, said, um, said I, you know, on social media, they just said, I, I'm a high school dropout. I was incarcerated twice. And I have a family member that's a severe addict. And my life was, was hopeless. But now I am the head supervisor of blah, 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 blah. You know, I, I made it. And I'm, I'm going to keep climbing. And so it was just those moments. Oh, that's all. I just want to, you know, just contribute and connect and share. And if you and I can vibe off of just of overcoming things, then I think that's that's a good life. It's brilliant, and it's it's out there now, and it's a you know it's always going to be there. So so people probably in fifteen years time might find it, and something might stand out for them. So that's the beautiful thing I think about putting content that, that is real out, out there as well you know so so well done on it so what's a typical day for melissa now what's going on in your world at the moment and what are you know the plans in the, the near future so crime watch daily with chris hansen we were canceled after three wonderful seasons okay. won an emmy super proud of that wow, congratulations. Um, i'm now developing my own docu-series that um we are going to take to network soon on elder abuse and um, it's, I'm actually, I've had a lot of people reach out to me about converting the making of a crime reporter into a film. And, and that's the ultimate goal. I'm always going to stay in television and stay in true crime. I'm talking to networks right now. But I think that if you talk about Endgame, it's to make a, a film based on this book or, or events of the book um, and, and just have that withstand time, you know? and really go hard on the mental illness and addiction. Uh, I bring up A Star is Born. I just saw it. It really moved me. And that that is something it will be around forever. It's a beautiful film about addiction. I think I have a beautiful, compelling, dramatic book about addiction and mental illness. And if I can just take elements of that and make it bigger and bigger and louder and louder, that's the end game. Brilliant. Yeah, and, and you talked about setting goals earlier. So I think there's there's a lot of importance in having an end game and and working towards it but again going back to the voice don't let it uh get give you a hard time if you're you know you're not accelerating like at a, a light speed to get there to, bit by bit right i think that's that's a, certainly an important approach shut it yeah shut it out <laughs> yeah you mentioned that the the picture on the the cover as well how long ago was that taken was that something that was taken way back or recently or this um was recent actually um we did this, my brother and I, we just, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's in Michigan right now. I went to visit the family. I grabbed a camera. We went to a dark alley and, uh, I had a, my cousin snap some photos. I'm holding a microphone. And, and at first, some of the people I ran the cover by in the industry, they said, well, it looks like he's a criminal that's going to like, you know, harm you or something. And I said, exactly. Of course it does. But they're going to, re, you know, it, the, the look is the look, his look and my look, it is what it is. 
that's the first judgment and assumption, but then they're going to read about it or listen to the audible and realize, oh my God, that's her brother. And it will be viewed as differently than literally judging a book by its cover. You know, so, I mean, I, I love that you think that it's a criminal and a crime reporter. It, it has much more deep symbolic meaning once you realize that that's not the case. No, it, it looks it looks really good. And uh, as I said, I'll definitely put it. I have a page on the website that I put book um, recommendations on. So I'll put it there. Hopefully when we put out the video, folks can see the cover and, and listen to it uh, through, through the podcast. We have lots of angles to um, to share it. I do mention books a lot as well. And I like to kind of wrap up with a couple of final questions around books that have had an impact on you outside your own. Is there anyone that you could potentially recommend or one that stuck out for you that uh, you took a lot of influence from? Well, the reason why I wrote my book, the number one reason which pushed me to say, I can do this, I can tell my story, I think I've got something. It's uh, the, the Glass Castle by Jeanette Walls, which was made into a film okay. with Woody Wallet or Woody Harrelson. Okay. Um, it was it was that book that it was so profound about a journalist and the situation she overcame with her family and her upbringing. It, I love, love, love memoirs. But now I'm more um, on the space of what you focus on, um, internal uh, growth and strength and um, uh, mind control. And so The Untethered Soul blew me away. Eckhart Tolle, anything by him anything and so i i just really want to strengthen uh, my spirit and my thoughts to continue to do what i do especially working in such a dark you know sad industry i like to shed light into my brain so that's where i'm at um is more of the um the mental strengthening books but memoirs are my addiction okay cool and a la one last one like just get you to to visualize into the near future um the making of the movie um who's going to play who's going to play you and who's going to play your brother have you characters lined up or, or, or actors already i do i can't say because <laughs> um between you and i the person that i think is best qualified to play the brother which is such a complex uh, difficult difficult character he's my ex-boyfriend okay <laughs> so maybe you'll so play you'll play you <laughs> Okay. I, I talk, he doesn't know he's a chapter in the book either. He's, okay. he's listening to it. He'll find out soon enough. But, right, right. Um, <laughs> no, but he's he's so gifted. He's a big actor, and I, I'd be honored if he would. And me, I don't know. I don't know. Someone younger and hotter. <laughs> I'm, I'm not comment. Yeah, no, I'm sure. Uh, look, at least, as you said, visualize it, put it out there, see what happens. It sounds like you have a, a good story to, certainly a great story to tell, and you, you, know, you know people there, hopefully, that... Um, pick it up and you know best all i can say is best of luck with with that it's only been out a couple of weeks right so it's still yeah, going to take a little bit of time so um no it's, it's been great to to have the opportunity to connect with you melissa um i hope it goes really well for you keep keep doing what you're doing i'm looking forward to kind of keeping an eye on your progress over the coming weeks and months and um just to wrap up how can people get in touch with you and you know how can they get the book uh, social media is the best. It's Melissa McCarty and the number one, both on Twitter, Instagram, and the books on Amazon, Audible, iTunes. You are such a pleasure. I love what you're doing. I think it's so thought-provoking and great. So I'll be listening to you. Thank you. Brilliant. Great to uh, do this video as well. So look, have a great rest of day and uh, keep in touch. 
I will. Have a good evening. Cheers. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I am. I just hope I wasn't moving around too much. I tend to do that. But no, I think it went great. Thank you. So how did you find it? A good show? Hopefully. Do take a second or two to let me know. And before you do, dive off. Just a couple of quick call-outs. The new podcast, the 864, 15 minutes long, in fact, 864 seconds is the aspiration, is now out and ready for listening. Check it out on the site. Go to the podcast page. There's a link for 864 there. Or go on to Apple Podcasts and subscribe. That would be awesome. The 864 is all you have to search for. And it's in all other podcast platforms that you can think of or should be. So, have a listen. Every week I release a One Minute Monday video Lip, which is also a tip to hopefully make you 1% better. Check that out. It's on the website on the video page. Did you also know that only about 1% of listeners to podcasts, not just my own but all, leave a rating, leave a review, get in touch or give feedback? And I would love if we could book that trend and put it to 2% for this one. So please do take the time to give me a bit of feedback, give me some ideas about future guests or whatever the hell comes into mind just get in touch or rate or review the podcast on apple that helps i'm available at all of the social platforms pretty much all at rob of the green that's either with or without the at sign but you'll find it under that moniker so hopefully i'll hear from you there last couple of quick ones support so i do offer some pro bono coaching get onto the website the support page to get in touch few hours a month happy to do that and if you would like to support the podcast that would be awesome you can do so through patreon and also through purchasing books through the book page on the website that goes through amazon and we get a little percentage i'm not even sure what but it's something and finally just to say thanks for taking the time to listen to the podcast i know there's lots of other shows out there it means a lot that you're checking this one out so have a great rest of day week month year whatever it may be and Hopefully you're getting 1% better as a result of these shows. Take care and good luck.